The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 201. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. Also, go to brianmcclanahan.com. Give me an email address, and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You'll get on my email list. I don't send you a lot, but you do get some. Also, you can support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. I've got five classes available for purchase. And if you want to get a discount, if you use the coupon code PODCAST, you can get a 10% discount on any one of those courses. Also, those that enroll in the Academy will get the best deals when new courses do come out. And I will have a new course coming out probably in the spring, Reconstruction and the Recreation of the United States. So it's going to be a great course. I'm already working on it. It's going to be out there. So uh, take the time to go and enroll in McClanahan Academy. You can also support the Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. That's always B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on that you're watching on the podcast, help keep the podcast going. And you can always get your Brian McClanahan gear by going to redbubble.com. Redbubble, just do a search for my name. You can find all the apparel and other items that have my logo on it. It's cool stuff. Um, so uh, it's highly worth it. The quality of the material is very good, and you get that logo, which helps advertise the show. And, of course, if you do like the podcast, go on out and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to the podcast, it helps more people find it and get more listeners. And that will help the Brian McClanahan Show as well. And we're all in the mood to think locally, act locally. And that's actually the theme of this particular episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. So I got two things that seem to be a little bit odd that I want to talk about, or at least putting them together might be odd. But I want to talk about these two things because they work in concert. One is an article that appeared in National Review. National Review of all places. Uh, and I, the title of the article is The Supreme Court Should Make Politics Local Again. It's published on January 15th by John Yu, of all people, and James C. Phillips. And then there's an, an issue in the state of Alabama. A state circuit court has knocked down an Alabama law protecting Confederate monuments, or at least all military monuments. It's just everyone knows that uh, one of the reasons why the law was passed is because Confederate monuments had been under attack in the state. And so it's an act preserving monuments, uh, military monuments of all wars, all places. And so this, these are two think locally, act locally issues. And, and um, let me explain why. Think Locally, Act Locally demands that the states, and of course within the states, the citizens of the states have control over their own police power, over their own destiny in their own communities. And so you have this issue where the state has decided it's going to pass a law that protects monuments in the state of Alabama. The people of Birmingham, the city of Birmingham, erected a fence essentially around it, a, a plywood fence. So you couldn't see the monument anymore, this Confederate monument. You couldn't see the base of it anymore. And uh, the state of Alabama sued the cities $25,000 a day for violating the act. And of course, the, sta the city refused to pay and they took the state to court. Now, why is this a think locally, act locally issue? Because 
We have issues of sanctuary cities out in California. We have this understanding of federalism that is completely skewed in the United States. It's getting pressure from the top and it's getting pressure from the bottom. Essentially what's happening, and I've talked about this before on this podcast, you've got the states being the creators of the union and the creators of the city being crushed from both ends by people that don't understand federalism. They don't understand that the states are completely sovereign in this entire process. And as a sovereign, as a sovereign, they can really do what they want. Now, this is hard to understand because uh, we don't look at things like this, but a sovereign entity, the state, which created the union, can then destroy the union if it wishes to do so. Now, under that relationship, the central authority had certain powers that the state the states delegated to the central authority. And in those certain powers, the central authority had supremacy. And that came down to uh, two issues, essentially, defense and commerce. But commerce, when I say supremacy, uh, there's also concurrent powers with the states. Okay, So it's not, it's not exclusive when it comes to commerce. Interstate commerce, regulation of interstate commerce, and international commerce was under the control of the general government, not the states. But intrastate commerce, completely different story. Okay. And when you take it down to the individual level, a whole other story as well. So the expansion of the Commerce Clause is one of the great tragedies of the modern legal profession and what's happened in the 20th century, how the Commerce Clause has been used to distort original intent. Same thing with the taxing power. And this article, the National Review, gets into that. It's a little simplistic, but it gets into that. Now, that means that the state still is sovereign, though. It has internal police powers. It can do what it wants. The city of Birmingham is saying it doesn't have that. And this judge in the Tenth Circuit for the state of Alabama is saying it doesn't have that either. And he cites all kinds of federal cases, federal cases, where the Supreme Court has decided, well, the states can't do this. The Supreme Court has no role in that. The Eleventh Amendment makes that very clear. The state has state sovereign immunity. It can refuse to be sued if it wants to. Only sovereign entities can do that. And you have to look at this in a way like a king. Okay, and The states have that kind of role. The king owned theoretically owned all the land. And the dukes, barons, counts, whoever it was, the noblemen, owned the land at the pleasure of the king. And then the, the people that owned the land from the noblemen owned the land at the pleasure of the king. It was all the king's domain. In fact, this is how the colonists actually argued against parliament in the period leading up to the American War for Independence. We are the king's domain. Only the king can make laws for us because we're not represented in the parliament. And so because the, the king theoretically owns all this land, only he can decide how these things are going to happen in, the, in these colonies. Well, that means the colonies were mere corporate entities of the king. And the king did have final authority. He could decide whatever he wanted for those colonies. That is the way that sovereignty is exercised. The states create the cities. And therefore, because the states create the cities, the states have complete control over what the cities will do. Now, the Supreme Court said, well, that's not true. You can't, can't do that. The cities, the cities are saying they have rights. Now, the citizens of the cities have individual rights, but the cities themselves are created at the pleasure of the state. This is a complete distortion in this ruling, and I'm going to read some of it, of any understanding of American government. It is so stupid 
that it almost defies uh, any type of, of logic. Uh, you almost couldn't make it up. And I know I've some of the things that are going on in the United States in terms of politics and other things are so stupid, you almost can't make this stuff up. But this is what's happening. So on the one hand, you have the National Review saying we need to return to federalism. That's great. But the way they're saying we need to do it is just <laughs> it's completely ridiculous. And of course they'd say this because John Yoo is a nationalist. And so the Supreme Court, they were saying, are going to be the ones that have to be involved in this process. Now, you could say that the Supreme Court has to be involved in the process because if they're not involved in the process, there's going to be some type of pushback against this, and, and you're going to have uh, you know, a situation where you have lawlessness. This is what the nationalists say. If the states exert their own powers, their own sovereignty and independence in opposing unconstitutional laws. And that's really what's at stake here. It's not about constitutional laws. No one's saying that the states can resist constitutional laws. All that the people that advocate the 10th Amendment are saying is we can resist unconstitutional, unconstitutional laws. The states can. Not, so the states can say this law is unconstitutional and we're not going to enforce it. It's just simply, simply what they're saying. And at the end of the day, what happens is, well, if the federal government decides to enforce the law, that means they have to use their own police powers to do it. And therefore, you have to have... I mean, you look at this, say, with the Fugitive Slave Law, which um, the states didn't have to enforce it. Uh, the federal marshals did. Though. Of course, that gets into a whole other situation. Was that even... We can talk about constitutionality. And I get into that in my course, American Constitutions, when I talk about nullification and the fact that the Fugitive Slave Clause is in the Constitution. We can talk about how enforcement and other things, but the fact it's in the Constitution makes it constitutional. Um, so, regardless, and it, I mean, the, thankfully it's not there anymore, but these are, these are some of the questions we have to deal with. So to say the Supreme Court has to be the final arbiter in all this is actually flipping the, the, the whole uh, process on its head, even though that these individuals say this is what they're trying to avoid, is slipping the whole process on its head. And they're right about this in a lot of ways. So uh, one thing that's interesting about this article is that they're saying that somehow the Roberts Court has reinvented federalism. I, this is a strange position. But um, they get into the fact, they say this, of course, federalism does not just benefit liberals during the Obama years. Conservatives sought refuge in the states and because they start by saying, hey, look, federalism is good for the left. It does all kinds of things. You can, you can uh, have environmental legislation, for example. You can have immigration reform. You can have all these things. It's good for the left. You can have marijuana laws, whatever it is. You can have these things on the left, but it also works for conservatives because you can do things to oppose the leftist agenda. And What's interesting about this is that this article comes out right after the Democrats take back control of the House. And so there's a fear that, of course, the Democrats and the demographics are on their side. I'm not certain how long that the Republicans, who aren't really that conservative, I mean, anyways, but how long the pseudo-conservatives, the neoconservatives, or the fake conservatives can hold the line and maintain the general government under the current demographic trends. It's probably not going to be long. So we are going to get a situation where the progressive left is going to control the general government again. And then what happens? Well, if we have a national unitary state, we're all in trouble if you're on the right. I mean, we're the people on the right are going to be abused. The traditional Americans, doesn't matter who you are, are going to be abused by the central authority. It's going to happen. And so federalism is the only way to stop that. Federalism is also the only way, if you're on the left, to stop someone like Donald Trump. 
if you don't like his agenda. And the, and the lefties have figured this out. I mean, I've talked about it. Neo, uh, con, uh, neo-Confederate progressives, you know, neo-Confederate Hillary, all this stuff. They've rediscovered these things in the age of Trump. Of course, their commitment to it is probably fleeting. As soon as they're in power again, they're going to forget about all this stuff. And the same thing happened with quote-unquote conservatives when they had control of the Congress and the presidency. They weren't talking. They were opposing all these things. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't have sanctuary cities. You can't have sanctuary states. You can't do that. You can't have marijuana laws. You can't do that. But now that the Congress is clearly back under the control of the Democrats and the Democrats are pushing their Green New Deal or whatever the heck they got, well, hey, federalism sounds pretty good. Sounds like a good thing. Uh, so, they, they say this, which is, which is interesting. But the mission of the Ro- for the Roberts Court is to make the, take the Federalist Revolution beyond a focus of, on effective government. The Roberts Court has to do this. Not the people of the states. Not those that are interested in the original Constitution, which would have the fourth leg of government be the states. So they're not saying groups like the Tenth Amendment Center, uh, which have been pushing this issue now for over 10 years, and effectively pushing this issue for 10 years, I might add. Or intellectuals like uh, the Abbeville Institute or others, which have been insisting that we have an original constitution and that that tradition of that is something that's valuable for Americans to understand. This is all that people are saying. Hey, look, we want to support the law, which is the original constitution. These are things we think are valuable. It's good for everyone. Federalism is good for us all because it keeps people at peace with each other. We don't have these nasty political fights at the center. They say most European and Asian developed nations, for example, adopt unitary, centralized governments that reject a notion of sovereign states that exercise their own independent powers. So they're saying here, John Yu is saying that we have sovereign states that exercise their own independent powers. Even if federalism proved inefficient, a conservative court majority guided by originalist principles should still intervene to defend state sovereignty, sovereignty, and limit federal power. State sovereignty. If you are sovereign, that means there is no higher authority. (laughs) That means the Supreme Supreme Court is not a higher authority. There's no higher authority. You have it. The 11th Amendment makes that very clear. The states have sovereignty, sovereign immunity. They cannot be sued without their consent. So keep that in mind when I get into this idiotic ruling from this 10th Circuit Court in the state of Alabama. For the framers designed a federal government effective at truly solving truly continental problems such as national defense and interstate commerce, but not so strong as to threaten liberty. The states play a central role by creating efficient government that can resist the abuse of federal powers. Reinforcing that original structure must provide the lodestar for the Roberts Court. So I, I agree with that 100%, but it's not the Roberts Court, it's the people of the states that have to do this. If we rely on the Supreme Court, we're going to be disappointed. And what these people are saying is, now that we got Judge Kavanaugh on the bench, now we got that, and hey, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is not well. She's, she's not well. She's in her 80s. She's not well. She's had lung cancer. This is And Trump, in the next two years, may get another appointment. Hey, if that happens, we've got now a 6-3 majority. So they should just go in and say, we're going to take control, and we're going to ensure that we have real federalism. But the commitment to it, I think, is, is where the issue comes down to. The commitment to it. Uh, and, and essentially, if you put your faith in the Supreme Court, this, this court, these people aren't going to live to be 200 years old. I mean, you've got individuals on that court that are also getting up there in age that are conservatives. Uh, Thomas, 
Alito. Um, I mean, they aren't spring chickens. So you've got people that are uh, moving up there in age. And uh, that means that if a Democrat wins the the executive office, they're going to have appointments. So that commitment to federalism would go away once a majority swings back the other way. So what needs to really happen, and this is where this article is really stupid, what needs to happen is the people of the states need to decide they're going to take this back. And the states themselves are just going to say, you know what, we're going to do it anyways. We're going to resist these unconstitutional legislation. And, and of course, this piece points out that it's money. Money is the problem here. You, you've got the states slopping at the trough. Heck, the, uh, the agrarians, the 12 Southerners, pointed this out in 1930. We don't need to be slopping at the trough as the states get off the, the heroin drip. Get rid of the free cash. And the states can do what they want. You got to stop taking the cash. You got to figure out at the state level. If we want these services, if we want these goods, we're going to have them ourselves. And on the other hand, these unfunded mandates, federal mandates that the states do X, Y, and Z are completely unconstitutional. We're not going to do them. They say our Constitution is designed like a pyramid. At the top is the national government, which exercises power that is supreme, but that national power is also limited in scope. At the bottom of the pyramid are the states. Their power can be superseded by national power where there is a clash, but the states' powers are much broader in scope, meaning in many areas of life only the states have power to act. Um, unfortunately, that, this, is a, this is not the, the real understanding of the supremacy clause, th- at least the original understanding. The general government is supreme only in its spheres of influence, not where the powers clash, but where it has delegated authority, which would be interstate commerce and defense. In those particular areas, the states have no power because they delegated those those powers to the central authority. Now, by delegating it or granting those powers, granting in Article 1, delegating in the 10th Amendment, they're saying they had the power to give it to begin with. A power that's granted, as I've talked about on this podcast, can be rescinded by the granting power anytime it wants. Anytime it wants, it can abolish the whole central authority if it wants to. That is the true nature of sovereignty. Unfortunately, in many ways, our constitutional pyramid has been turned upside down. That's in part because in its relationship with the states, the federal government has come to acquire vast powers. One of its weapons, money. Lots and lots of money. Most federal policy... In education, environment, health, and welfare arrives through states adopting federal rules as the price for receiving congressional funds. And this is exactly right. It's, it's slapping at the trough. Now, they get into the very simplistic understanding of the founding period. They don't bring up the ratification debates. They bring up Jefferson and Madison and Hamilton. I mean, this is, well, people recognize those names, so we're going to use them. Um, so I, I can understand, but Jefferson wasn't even involved in the ratification debates. Uh, Madison certainly was. So was Hamilton, of course. But Jefferson wasn't even here in the United States. So he really wasn't involved in the process. So to even bring him up shows a complete lack of understanding of ratification. That's where the the rubber meets the road. That's the whole key. How did the friends of the Constitution sell the document? And they sold the document to the states based on the fact that the states had these unlimited powers, except in what they delegated to the central authority— So the states were still the central actors in the general government. So 
So they get into the fact you have the spending power, you've got the commerce power, regulate commerce, these are problems, and the fact that the Supreme Court has unconstitutionally expanded these powers. But they do say something, I mean, I think this is in some ways funny, the Federalism Revolution. Starting in the 1990s, the Supreme Court began to halt the expansion of the Commerce Clause. And in Obamacare decision, they did the same thing. They halted it, except that John Roberts sided with the left in saying that we can expand the taxing power because this is seductive. Well, what's to make, what, what do they think is going to happen? I mean, of course, they say this power is seductive. So the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court always fails people. It always does. So you want to put your faith in nine justices? What about the states themselves? Of course, they don't advocate any type of interposition, any type of state sovereignty where the states themselves are the primary actors and they do this job. They don't advocate that at all. Of course not, because that would be a problem for the nationalists. You can't have that. we got to have this Supreme Court decide all these things. I remember John McCain, we're going to freak this Obamacare to the court. Why? Why? So, they conclude with federalism's future. To restore federalism to its proper place in our constitutional order, the Supreme Court must return to the original understanding of the spending and commerce clauses. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> I mean, really, good luck with that. So here we have these guys. Well, here's what the Supreme Court must do. So I'm sure these judges have read this National Review article and said, yep, there it is. John Yu said, we got to go back to originalism, so that's what we're going to do. By golly, by gosh, we're going to go out and we're going to return right back to originalism because John Yu said so in the National Review. I'm sure, you know what, we're just going to forget about all the things we've done to this point. We're just going to go right back to that. And I'm sure those, the uh, the four justices who are on the, the progressive side are going to read and say, you know, by golly, by gosh, John Yu is right. We need to get back to this because this will help progressivism in America. Heck no, they're not going to do that. Congress can tax and spend on activities authorized by the Constitution as long as that spending is on something that truly benefits the national offense or the welfare of the whole country. Congress may regulate the sale or trade or transportation incidental to such of goods that cross state lines. Congress can do nothing more under these constitutional provisions. I mean, I agree with this 100%. But the Supreme Court's not going to uphold that. The Supreme Court's not going to decide with that. They haven't. In almost 100 years, they haven't. I guess I'm exaggerating a little bit there. Since the, since the 1940s, they haven't. So we're talking about 70 years. They haven't done this. And maybe if the, uh, if the court had a 6-3 majority, they might do this. But again, that 6-3 majority is fleeting because at some point, demographics, not on the side of the right, uh, there's going to be a situation where we've got the Congress wants to be a more national Congress, and they're going to do things that are unconstitutional, and they're going to put judges on the bench, they're going to uphold these things. So where do you come back to again? Always, 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 you come back to the states. Uh, he, they conclude with... Um, That, of course, there's going to still going to be problems with this. And I'm sorry for the pause there. Of course, there's still going to be problems with this. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that they talk about immigration. Immigration is still a prerogative of the national government. Um, and that's because um, that the Constitution authorizes Congress to regulate only naturalization, which is distinct from immigration. 
Uh, and this is they're saying it's executive problem. Washington could control defense, security, foreign affairs, and trade, where unified control clearly benefits the nation as a whole. But many national state disputes would tip in the state's favor once the national government lacked authority to spend and act in that area, or at least the national government's ability to act would be severely curtailed. And under that constitutionally ordained regime, the old saying that all politics is local may once again ring true. So, I mean, heck, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. That sounds like a great thing. Let's go back to think locally, act locally. Unfortunately for the National Review, what they're advocating how to get there is a bad idea. Now, let me tie this into this Birmingham situation. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's just funny uh, in this particular ruling. Uh, the judge in this particular case, the state, uh, the states, the state of Alabama was sued by the Southern Poverty Law Center, of course, is going to be involved in this. And uh, there's the city of Birmingham, by half of the city of Birmingham. And essentially what the state concludes, uh, generally the state contends that because an Alabama municipality is a mere instrumentality of the state, the state can restrict the city's power to express its disagreement with the act. Well, it can. I mean, that's, that is real sovereignty. Now, it doesn't mean that they can't prohibit citizens' power to express disagreement with the act. And they can do that by writing. They can do that by speaking. They can do it by any manner, but not violating the law and putting up a big barrier around it. The city did that. The city government. The city government is created by the state. The state could simply abolish the city tomorrow. They could revoke its charter, and all of that quote-unquote city property would go back to the state. So that's city property is that it's held at the pleasure of the state. All they got to do is say your your charter is revoked. That's it. You're not gonna. Ha- we're not gonna have a city of Birmingham government anymore. The city, the, the the state of Alabama could do that. They could do it tomorrow. Revoke the charter. You're done. You don't have a city government now. Of course, the city would suit. You can't do that. You can't. But this is where this judge is getting into all kinds of strange things here. Likewise, the state further contends the court need not reach the issues raised with this pros- with respect to the city's federal constitutional offenses. Quote, because a well-established line of federal cases holds that municipalities lack standing to assert state statutes violate their rights under the United States Constitution because they are creatures or instrumentalities of their states of origin and not private citizens. This is 100% correct. 100% correct. But this judge thinks otherwise because, however, there is a well-established line of cases establishing there's a well-established line of cases establishing, well, this guy's a genius when it comes to writing, that a state's power over its municipalities, like any state power, is subject to constraints. Although a state's legislative control of municipalities is extensive, the U.S. Supreme Court has never acknowledged the state's, quote, plenary power to manipulate in every conceivable way for every conceivable purpose the affairs of its municipal corporations. Um, well, it doesn't matter because the states are sovereign. The states have complete police power, so they can do that. Now, not individuals, not individual citizens. They cannot deny the rights of individual citizens, but of the states, 100%. 100%. And so the reason that this guy, this judge, says... Uh, rather, municipalities, including those in Alabama, have rights not conferred by state legislative grace, which include, one, a legally protected right to free speech, 
So a state has, I'm sorry, a city has legally protected right to free speech. That's a new creation. A city itself has right to free, this is, this is how stupid this is. A city, not individuals, but a city has right to free speech. Now, the individuals in the city certainly have a right to free speech based on the Alabama Constitution, not the federal constitution. This is how stupid this is as well. They're all appealing to the federal constitution. Let's talk about the Alabama Constitution because that's really where the issue comes down to. Well, of course they have a right to free speech. The state of Alabama cannot restrict free speech. But this is not free speech of an individual. This is the city erecting a barricade uh, and not allowing people to view the monument, which is also a sign of free speech. And, quote, a legally protected right not to be deprived of his property without due process law. Well, how is the state depriving of his property? It's not. Well, of course, we know that uh, the general government does this stuff all the time. I mean, you got a pond in your uh, a puddle in your front yard. That's now a wetland. You're deprived of your property. You can't sell your property who you want. You can't transfer your property who you want. You can't do any of that stuff because the general government has all these rules and regulations. So you're always denied your pro- property without due process law. It happens all the time. If you want to look at it in that particular way, and the reasoning is so funny. Uh, the reason this judge thinks that the city has the right to, to block the view of this thing is because the overwhelming majority of the body politic of the city is repulsed by the monument. So that under this logic, and I, and I just want to get, because this is a think local, I mean, look, this is the local government. This is a state issue. But again, it's a, it's a, it is an issue of federalism. The states are sovereign. They can do what they want. Under an original understanding of the Constitution, the cities are mere corporate entities of the state, and they can abolish the entire city if they want. But think about what the judge is saying here. If anyone is repulsed by anything in a city, so if you live in your city, XYZ, and you're repulsed by something that's going on, you can pass a law that would say we're not going to do that. So if you're repulsed by obscene images, well... Uh, even in personal use, you could get rid of those things. If you're repulsed by uh, a certain type of attire, certain type of dress, you could get rid of that stuff because that's repulsing to a majority of the body politic. But that's not what people have said. These are free speech issues now, see. And, of course, that monument erected by the UDC... Uh, is free speech. It's free speech. I mean, the UDC, which is also a group of individuals, has a right to have free speech. And that monument was set there, and the state is protecting it. That's how, look, I, I firmly believe that the uh, the Supreme Court of Alabama will knock down this stupidity, that this judge's uh, ruling will be completely disregarded by the state Supreme Court of Alabama. But on the other hand, what's going to happen, of course, is going to be appealed to the Supreme Court. And I would hope at that point the Supreme Court would have some sanity and say, we deny your appeal. You're going to side with the, so the law will be upheld. But it's going to be a process. And eventually Birmingham, I think, is going to have to pony up the $25,000 a day that they've had that barricade or they had the barricade and have to pay the state of Alabama. The law will stand. But this process, the problem is here, we've got judges that sincerely think that somehow the state, the cities have more sovereignty than the state itself. Uh, that the cities somehow have right to free speech. No, the individuals do, uh, but not the cities. So 
There you go. Um, but this is where we are in the 21st century. And I, I, fir I firmly agree with the National Review here that we need to think locally, act locally. But their, their solution to the problem is extremely uh, dangerous for federalism in the long run. And then you've got, on the other side, you've got these cities that think they can sue the states. Uh, a city, not an individual. I mean, if an individual sued the state and said, look, I mean, you're violating my right to free speech because I can't put, uh, you know, I can't deface a monument. Well, now you're getting into property rights. I mean, you just defaced a monument. So that is uh, destruction of property. But, or I can't, uh, you know, I can't, pro you, nobody's saying you can't stand out in front of the monument in, in, in every day of your life with a megaphone and say, this monument is a symbol of racism or whatever you want to say it is. Nobody's saying that at all. What they're saying is the city can't block it. This is not a city issue, and this is how weak the argument actually is. The state is 100% correct in this. This is a weak legal position. But because you've got some judge who was, I mean, this person, this judge, was uh, his practice in Birmingham. They've been involved in left-wing Birmingham politics for years. They think that they're, they're going to use the power of the court to try to knock down a state law, which is completely constitutional. There's no question about it. Uh, because this isn't even a federal issue. That's the other issue. It's a, there's, no, there's not even any standing to sue in federal court for this at some point. In federal, why are we citing federal cases that have to deal with this particular issue? This is, a, this is a, completely a state issue. Why are we citing federal cases in Alabama Circuit Court? I mean, that's how stupid we've got. That's how, that's how far off the rails we've gone in federalism. We shouldn't even be citing one federal case in a state court when it comes to this. We should be looking at state cases. State of Alabama cases. That's it. Anyways, this is where think locally, act locally can be problematic because we've lost our our anchor when it comes to federalism. And then, of course, you've got the Supreme Court being invoked to say we got to restore federalism. The only thing that can restore federalism is people that believe in the principles of real federalism. The states are sovereign, as the National Review piece says. The states are sovereign. They create the cities. They also created the central authority, and therefore they have complete power. It's not, they're, but unfortunately, the, sta the states are getting squeezed from both ends by court systems that have uh, a political agenda, and that's the real issue with federalism in America today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you next time.